What's going on, guys? JB here with Code Fellowship. I am really excited to bring you this episode. We're going to talk about day two of that conference. I know it's a little bit delayed. You know, life happens, but we're here right now with James Q. Quick, uh, a developer I've been following on YouTube for probably the past year. Uh, very humble in nature. I love his content. Love his podcast with Amy Dutton, uh, Compress.fm. All those links will be on the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, it'll be down there as well. Check out his content. Um, I know that he recently just uh, made a transition, right, James, from like being a developer advocate in, in the DevRel space over to a full-time technical content creator. So how's that been going for you? Uh, introduce yourself and yeah, uh, where are you yeah, from? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it was great for us to get to hang out in person for the first time. And uh, yeah, I've done uh, developer, speaker, teacher, some combination of those things for the past uh, about 10 years now, which is kind of hard to believe. In the past couple of years, I've been doing uh, full-time roles as a developer advocate and uh, doing content creation for myself on the side, which has been going really well on the side. And as of a couple of weeks ago, I am doing this full-time for myself, which is something I've thought about a lot over the past couple of years. I've wanted to do for a couple of years and now just really diving in and taking the opportunity. And I can say it's been like absolutely fantastic. I've never been more motivated to start like every single day. It's only been a couple of weeks. So like it's new <laughs> and fresh and exciting, but I've never been more excited and motivated each day that I get started with work because I know it's it's things that I have 100% control over. Like I get to 100% dictate all the things I do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And that is really exciting. So everything has been super, super positive so far. Yeah, one of the things I really like about your content, especially when you post on Twitter, is like the little bloopers. How you mm -hmm. ask us, hey, what kind of <laughs> caption would you give this? It's like, it's super awesome to see uh, someone that's very interactive with his, his or her community. Um, so... I remember when I started like way back in 2008 uh, with YouTube and I had a channel called Joshua Electronics Inc. Uh, that actually got terminated. Long story short, that'll be left for like a different podcast episode. Um, but I used to do tutorials every day after school. I would do my homework in school. I was in middle school during this time. And this is when YouTube allowed you to like design the background and design like uh, just a lot of the things. And then you had to, it took, much longer to become a part of the partnership community and they have a lot of those uh multi-channel you know organizations it's like hey we can get you like uh promoted and get like people to uh, fund you and stuff like that so uh that was a very interesting world and i can i feel i can say that was kind of like my first little experience of like being DevRel because I had a community that followed me and I taught them how to code or how to ethically hack certain things and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, uh, but I've, again, it's a different podcast, different conversation. <laughs> uh, but it's really exciting when I get to see other people that have been following for years, like MKBHD. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. uh, Marquez Brownlee. Uh, he actually started it around this, I think a year after I did. Um, and then like uh, TLD today, I'm not sure if Jonathan Morris, I'm not sure. So you're probably familiar with a lot of these mm -hmm. guys in the tech industry. So I started around the same time as them. Soldier knows best. And just seeing them grow uh, where they at right now, it's incredible. Uh, so that's why I get excited with content like yours, because I'm like, man, this this is something I am inspired to continue to do. Um, but I feel like I've been called to do it in a different way. 
So hopefully I get inspired from this episode for you. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. I mean, that's the cool thing about content creation in general. There's so many different mediums. There's so many different audiences. There's so many different niches. And that's one of the things that I talk about with people constantly is like people are fearful or um, hesitant to start creating content because they think it's already been done. And the reality is like, mm -hmm. there's way too many people in the world that consume content to think that they're not also plenty of people to be interested in the topic or the topics that you want to talk about. And oftentimes it also takes different perspectives and stuff. When I, I like Google, how do I do this with this? Like I'll go to five or six different videos or articles or resources to find exactly the combination of things that I need. So everybody has their own unique experiences, own unique perspective and voice and explanations and teaching styles and all those things. So there's, there's never not enough room for new people to continue to create content. And I think we've seen more and more of that, especially during COVID. There's more mm -hmm. and more people that are doing articles and videos on YouTube and podcasts, et cetera. And that's really cool and exciting for me because I love seeing other people get their start and grow their stuff also. Yeah, yeah. I I, I would say, have to say the same thing with the, the, the gaming industry as well. I was streaming for a lot towards when COVID hit. I was stationed in Hawaii uh, with the U.S. Army, but I was exiting out the Army. Uh, and that takes mm -hmm. a that took a bit of a process because of just COVID restrictions, a lot of things in place. But because I was living outside of base, I didn't have to come into work because I was an hour away from base. So I was considered non-mission essential. And that actually gave me the opportunity not only to do like a freelance web design and development, but also to stream video games. And I noticed that that even ramped up too. Uh you can, it's the same thing. Like you can play the same game, but everybody's going to watch somebody different because everybody has a different playing style. Everybody has a different way of communicating with their audience. Everybody has something different to give to their community. And some are actually better at nurturing communities than others. And some of them, they're actually snotty, but you know, they attract their kind of people. And that's why I love I like the learn, build, teach community, which I just recently just joined. I feel guilty for not joining the past year, uh, but I, I'm seeing a lot of awesome things. I'm like, man, this is a really well nurtured community, um, especially with just some of the transitions that you've been going through in your life and the changes with like being jumping from one company to another and now being a full time technical uh, creator and then going, being a speaker uh, most of your career. So until now, still. Uh, so we're going to talk about that conference and talk about like your experience. Uh, you said this was not your first time speaking at that conference, correct? Yeah. It's also so funny to reference the name that conference because it sounds so generic, but yeah. it's actually the name of the conference as we're probably aware by now. But yeah, so I, I spoke at that conference in either 2018 or 19. And at the time, I didn't, I, I knew like almost no one, like I hadn't been speaking as much at that point as I have been now. I didn't know organizers and as many other speakers. So it was a little different experience then just like going in completely by myself and not knowing almost anyone. But this time my wife came and then I had a few people like yourself that, you know, I've known online that I got to meet in person for the first time and I knew more of the other speakers and some of the sponsors. So yeah, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, it was, it was really exciting. I told my wife, I'm going to try to be a fanboy. I don't want to scare <laughs> James off, but it's really, really exciting because this the last time that I met someone that I followed online in the tech industry was Dom Esposito. He was, he was known as Mac Mixing on YouTube. And I lived in New York City. I was raised in New York City all my life. And we were having a meetup 
because he was, I think, in town for a Samsung event at the time. So we met up at at the Apple store, the infamous Apple store with the cube right there in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I have a picture saved somewhere in my archives. I can never lose that picture. And it's somewhere in one of my um, Twitter accounts. But it was probably a highlight of my career at the time because I was still doing tech YouTube videos as well. Um, so it was really exciting. So I was like, okay, well... I'm going to be very professional here. I am not going to scare him off and I'm going to see if I can get him on a podcast. And here you are. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, it's so, I mean, like compliments back to you as well. Like I, I follow people that are genuinely invested in themselves and the community and are just regular, normal, cool people also. So that's like, it was nice again to have people that I at least knew online there to then be able to hang out in person. And that's the like ultimate kind of next level. Like virtual things have gotten mm-hmm. so good. We can do podcasts, we can do live streams, we can do all the things. It's never quite the same as being in person. And that's just what I absolutely love about going to conferences is actually like me getting to spend time with other developers and people that are content creators and all those things, but also to help other people understand that like even even though content creators may seem like a celebrity or like whatever, like we're still just regular people and we enjoy yeah. just hanging out just like everyone else. So I. I really love that from my perspective um, of being a, being able to hang out, but then also to kind of like demystify because I have some of that too. Like I've been in a situation where I met a content creator that I didn't even realize I was meeting at the time. And then it hit me and I was like, oh my God, you're so-and-so. And I kind of freaked out a little bit. And I was like, he's also just a regular person that happens to create content. So yeah, when, when my job, um, layer one, shout out to layer one, they're the reason why I ended up at that conference because I just got hired on as a UI UX developer, transitioning from being a veteran, working odd jobs to finally being in the tech industry. And uh, during my onboarding week, they were saying, hey, so our team, some members of the delivery team are going to go to that conference. We go like almost every year um, and the company pays for you. You just got to pay away and then we reimburse for your travel. I was like, okay, well, I was like, it's kind of too soon. I had my severance pay. My taxes is something that was uh, keeping us uh, financially steady uh, because I got laid off uh, in May by a software development company as a video creator. Um, And then I started working FedEx. Uh, Then I told my wife, well, there's this thing. So that's going on. And you wouldn't guess who's there. And she's (laughs) like, who is it? MKBHD. I was like, well, close enough, right? It's it's not it's not that tech side of the mm-hmm. industry. It's the other tech side of the industry, the development side, the learning side, the growing side of of the uh, tech YouTube space. And she, she couldn't figure it out because I don't really talk to her much about that side. And I told her it's James Q. Quick. He's like this one of these guys that I've been following for a weird uh, a year, and along with Syntex uh, FM, like Wes mm-hmm. and Scott Talinsky. She she don't even know those names, right? So then I was like, but the thing is, right? It's a conference that I'm going to. It's paid by the company, and someone that I follow and admire and, and inspired by his content is actually going to be there, and it's like opportunity of a lifetime. And mm-hmm. she's like, well. We'll see what I can do. So I actually ended up taking a venture card out, right? And because I get reimbursed, I'll just pay it back, right? So I was able to pay my way through. And the Lord actually made that possible. So it was really nice to finally meet you and actually go to a developer conference. This is my first one. So I was really excited to go to a developer conference and just see what was it about. Yeah, it's such a huge opportunity. Um, Again, the people that you can meet from 
speakers, organizers, other attendees, and just like being a part of hearing the conversations that other people are having. Like that's, that's one of the big things about being in person mm -hmm. in any kind of like meetup or conference or anything is just hearing the conversations that other people are having. What tools are they using? Languages, frameworks, what struggles do they have? Finding people that like, if you, especially if you're early on in your career and you're self-conscious or you have imposter syndrome, like finding other people that are going through those same things and having, knowing that it's not just you is really, really powerful. Uh, so yeah, just the conversations I think that you can have sitting over lunch or in the hallway or whatever, I think are, are really invaluable at, at conferences. Yeah. And I think that that conference, I'm glad it was my first experience because I feel like it, I love that polyglot. I think that's the word, uh, mm -hmm. that polyglot, uh, format all full stack developers or even some are you they're not full stack they're just back end or some of them are just front end or some of them are not developers at all but they talk about specific uh things that has to do with uh, the tech industry from like mentorship product management uh etc so it was super nice to just see that it wasn't just developer focus but it, it also was developer and then whatever supports the developer and then I like DevRel, right? Like it's a really important part of the developer experience, having someone, an ambassador you can come to and talk about a specific product, an idea or, you know, bugs or reports, whatever it is. And it was super nice to actually see that in person instead of like having to do it through email and then seeing these DevRels actually write down this information and making calls almost in real time to their team. Be like, hey, we got this going on. And blah blah blah, and that was super awesome. Such an immersive experience. Um, what do you think? I think that's that's one hundred percent it. I like that's why developer advocates and DevRel teams go to be there in person. Like I think about from my perspective, when I'm using a product, it's so much more convenient for me to have a person that I know and trust that works at the co company that I can just shoot over a quick question to because they could probably just answer it in thirty seconds versus kind of blindly sending out questions in a forum, which I mean, like we have to do that because at scale, right. not every developer advocate can answer every question, Correct. but having those relationships means you have people that can come on a podcast. You have people that could help you out on a live stream. They could answer one-off questions and it makes the onboarding and enjoyment of using a product so much more. And that starts with as a developer advocate, like earning trust first, because it doesn't really matter what company, if I were still working for a company, it doesn't really matter which company I work for. What's most important is that people trust me first. And then now they're curious about the company that I work for because they trust me enough, hopefully from providing value to them and being a genuine member of community that now they're curious about whatever the company is. Um, and I think that like in-person relationships, again, virtual stuff is great and it's come so far and we've done a ton of it, especially during COVID, but in-person relationships are just next level. And it's kind of the ultimate ultimate activity, I think, to really earn that trust with people. And it goes a long way. And conferences are just uh, an awesome opportunity to do that. Yeah. And I, I think the things that's been going on in the world too, uh, you know, that saying that uh, once you, what is it? Once I, I'm going to butcher it, but you'll realize that you had something good once you've lost it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that a lot of people, they didn't realize that because this world is so consumed on their devices. Right. And and I think COVID really was one of those awakening things or a type of pandemic in the world being on lockdown that they needed to interact constantly, not just through like mm -hmm. webcam, FaceTime, whatever it is like they, they, they needed to be that interpersonal connection in person. And I'm glad that there are still conferences that were able to break through some of the 
the COVID uh, stigmas and, and make people feel comfortable and rejoin again uh, to create awesome things, you know, in, in the world. Yep. So, And that's continuing to grow. There's more and more conferences that are coming back for the first time or they did it once and it was successful and they're coming back for another. And just a quick shout out for that conference, uh, the Austin, the Texas version mm. of that will be coming up in, uh, in January. So they're going to do two a year, one in Austin and one in Wisconsin Dells, gotcha. which is where, um, where oh, we, we were, were yeah. and, and do that, uh, ongoing. So that's exciting just to see more and more of those opportunities coming back while also a lot of them are, are doing hybrid too. So people that are virtual have less opportunity probably than they did the last couple of years, but still more opportunity than before that to watch a conference and watch some of their favorite speakers, et cetera, uh, from their home. Cause they, let's be honest, like traveling to conferences and attending is expensive, expensive, especially if it's not paid for by a company. So if you don't have that opportunity, uh, lots of them are doing at least hybrid, if not completely virtual to provide some opportunity for people that can't make it there in person. Yeah, And that conference actually did that too. And from what I saw, they actually slashed the price to free uh, for those that were joining remotely. So that was, was super nice of them. But let's talk mm -hmm. about day two. Uh, did you go to some sessions on day two? I know I did. So I did not. So I actually spent a lot of my time uh, talking to people like at lunch and in between and like during some of the sessions, that was a big thing for me was, um, was just the networking piece. Again, working on those in-person relationships. I also had a talk in the afternoon. So I spent some time leading up to lunch, preparing for that. And one talk, I, I can't remember the lady's name, but I did, I did go to one and it was, I don't remember if it was uh, day one or two, but it was about um, her planning to take trips to Disney World with her family and how she gathered all this data. This is so cool. Gathered like all this different data to figure out the optimal time to go to Disney based on like uh, how many people are there and then the cost of hotels and, and tickets. And then also uh, figured out an algorithm to, to like map out their day. Yeah, like wow. if they want to go to these 10 rides, here's the order and times of, of when they should go to those rides based on like the buildup of when's the most popular, when is the easiest time to get on a certain ride, et cetera. So that was one that, uh, that stuck out to me in particular, just like using data that's out there and then using it in a practical way to improve their vacation process. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. And that's, was she a developer or is this, She's a developer. Yeah. So she, she's, I think she's got a background in data, just always been interested in like data, data and analytics that's one of, or something like that. Yeah. It's one of the cool things of like, there's a ton of data out there that some people just haven't like put into play to build something with. And so that was again, another great examples of like, you can use your development skills to solve your own problem. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's likely that other people have the same problem. So you have the ability to build products out of it. Yeah. Too. I was just about to say that took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, it, it reminds me of like this application called Volley uh, that I use. A lot of people would say it's, it's like the Marco Polo because it's asynchronous video messaging. You could also send like snippets of text or links or images to each other. Uh, but it has a very Discord feel. And I started using that for a video consulting um, service that I'm, I'm building up, still bootstrapping. But it, the origin of that application was it was an internal tool for their company. Um, Mm. And then it flourished and I guess someone had access to it. Uh, they started doing some beta testing or alpha testing. I don't remember. Uh, they can quote me, you know, say, hey, you're wrong, JB. Um, but the thing is internal. 
right? It's an internal tool. They were trying to solve an issue, uh, a problem within the organization. And then it came out to, Hey, you need to send this out and make it a public product. Um, and that, that, yeah, that's so super cool that someone just gets to use it for their own personal life. And then maybe it could be a product. Right? Mm-hmm. It could be the next, I feel like that's always the next vacation saving tool. That's right. <laughs> it's always the best that motivation, I guess, like a lot of developers as they're looking to build portfolios and get projects to learn and kind of build their experience. They, I, I get this question a lot of, I don't know what to build. And the answer is always like build something for yourself first. Like what problem have you had? Do you work out and you have a hard time tracking your workouts or your runs? Do you play video games and you want to keep track of your statistics for a video game or like whatever it is? Go and do that for yourself. And that's the that's the best way to build something that one you're excited about because you're going to benefit from. But then again, also, like if if that's something that you a pain point that you have, it's likely that other people have similar or the same pain point also. Yeah. And in, in return, you also like you can use whatever framework you want, whatever tooling, mm-hmm. because you're going to learn. It's a learning process, yep. right? Nobody is waiting exactly. on you to release it on an X date you're you're just building it out and you're adding people as users whether it's your family or friends to check it out and then they're giving you feedback so it's super nice i did attend some sessions i attended one specifically uh because i'm a ui ux developer at layer one uh the psychology of brand customer and user experiences by uh, uh damon sanchez he's associate director of experience strategy at isobar um, that was a really good one Really, really good. This, uh, there was a lot to take in. Uh, probably won't dive deep into it <laughs> uh, just for the sake of time. But there was there was some really interesting conversations going on within the room, like some people's perceptions on uh, what their priority is when it comes to like brand experience, customer experience, or just um, user experience. And obviously, I was really focused on getting to the user experience part. But you can't disregard the brand experience, right? How is, how's your branding going to look like? So that entails kind of with your UI and then the customer experience. You just can't disregard those other two at all. Um, I know you were going through a branding change as well. Like, do you think, uh, that some of these, uh, type of things like experience brand, customer user experience kind of led to that branding change? I know that Amy Dunn kind of helped you out as well with that. Yeah, so that's still, it's a, it's a work in progress, but I think we've kind of put that on the back burner for the time being with um, working on our course that we're working on. But yeah, I think, I think the big thing is consistency. So once you set up like whatever, whatever your uh, colors and fonts, et cetera, are the using those in a consistent way across different platforms, and this is just visually, but um, if you use those things in a consistent way across different platforms, people can see a thumbnail or they can see an image for a piece of text that you uh, or a code snippet or something that you share. And they'll, they'll know that you just by the brand itself. And that association I think is really, really powerful. The, so there's, there's the opportunity for me, I think like I just, I wanted a more modern brand. I'd never hadn't done much with an actual designer before. So I wanted to get someone with a lot of experience in brand and design involved. And Amy is the perfect person for that. So building out all those, all those new things, fonts, colors, consistency, templates for posts and YouTube thumbnails, et cetera. Uh, so that'll be something that we'll get to you eventually. But I think the other aspect of this brand is more, it's more than just the visual piece and, and just the experience piece on a website. Like it's, 
it's how you talk about yourself and it's how other people talk about you and it's how other people like what do they associate when they think about you and or your company and from a company perspective like the reason that developer advocates are so helpful is because they become a direct person that outside people can associate themselves with proxying through to the company like de developer relations are the the people that are most developer focused for a company right. so as people experience that company they're going to think about developer advocates and again going back to that conversation earlier like having someone at a company that you feel like you trust even if you don't know them that personally it gives you a little bit of kind of loyalty to that brand and for me personally, like I mentioned, like I want to spend time with other people, but I also want other people to get to know me as a person because you're, you're much more like, this is not the reason behind this is it starts with just enjoying it. But the more people know me as a regular person and start to have even more trust in the stuff that I do, uh, the more they're going to follow the content that I create long-term. Uh, so it's, it's more, it's more than just visual. It's, it's how people think about you. It's what perspectives they have. And it's helping kind of shape that too, because if you want to be known for a thing, whatever it is, like if I want to be known for uh, serverless in or SvelteKit, we'll go mm -hmm. back to that example. Um, I don't know if we've talked about SvelteKit yet or not, but let's to. say I want to be known for it. We're going to. Uh, but let's say I want to be known for that, then I'm not going to be known for that if it's not something that I talk about consistently. If I don't have content around that, if I don't talk about it on podcasts, people aren't going to associate me with that. So you can kind of control what your narrative is by the things that you decide to talk about to build up a brand in whatever way you think makes sense. And that can change over time. Yeah, too. That's a really good point that you make there because when I was looking, I think it was exactly force felt. I heard it on the syntax.fm podcast. Um, and then I was looking for felt and I saw like, um, uh, Talinsky's video, but I was as a few, but I saw a lot more from you. And I was like, huh, let me check this out. I've never heard of him. And I started looking into uh, your content and your spell kit tutorials. And I would save them for watch later or just made another playlist and just save them all so I consume them later. And yeah, and then I just started diving into other content. And it's interesting how like one search can actually lead to uh, a fountain of knowledge from one particular person. And then you start to... Uh, revolve your learning around that person as well and, and just your content consumption day to day. And I think that's where like the psychology of brand experience come from. That's one of the uh, first things that uh, Damon spoke about. Shout out to Damon Sanchez uh, from Isobari. There, he, he had a slide that said four to five mental models of brand experiences, sensations, feelings, social constructs, cognitation, uh, yeah, connotations, and behavioral responses. So based on my example, I did almost everything of that, right? I had a purpose to look for something and I felt satisfied in what I searched for. Uh, but I also felt overwhelmed because it's so much, right? When you try to look for something on YouTube, uh, you, I, I'm a type of person, I try to look for the most recent content, not really old content because mm -hmm. things could have changed. Right? So I try to look within the last three, two years or even the most recent one, like a couple months. And uh, sometimes maybe that's not the case. Maybe you do have to consume like content from a couple years ago. But it's insane how you consider like five years ago is still modern compared to like five years before that. <laughs> so... Yeah, it fast. does. It does. So, so it, there's nothing wrong in consuming that content. But I, I started 
going through this and I, I'm thinking about, okay, well, that's how people search for things. They search for things on Google. They try to look for uh, the information that's more relevant to them. And there's some people like myself, we try to look for the most recent, like probably like a year old, two years old, and nothing from like four years ago that you would see on Stack Overflow. But what's so interesting, that's what serves you. That's what gets served first most of the time, right? Like things that are older because they're more proven to work. And then you start learning about upvoting and you start learning about, okay, uh, there's a different conversation, different thread, so you don't have to get fixed on that one thing. And then that's where that customer experience, that user experience comes into play, where it's like he comes and he talks about it's a customer's interaction with the services all across all channels and touch points. It focuses on desirability, viability, and uh, feasibility. And so every time we're searching for something, we're trying to look for what can get us to point from point A to point B and let's say my SaaS building journey. Right. Or some people, they, they want to make a SaaS product and they want to start making money right away. Uh, I've seen a lot of videos where that's just really bogus. A lot of these, you know, gurus that just take advantage of people. And then there's some that are very honest and they tell you, hey, just just build something out for yourself. Right. Uh, but that's that's basically what I attended. One of the sessions that I attended to and, and it was nice to co- still correlate it within being a developer. Because even then too, like for me, when I'm looking at tooling, I look at how they use, are they actually using the tooling for their website or their web application? Because right? that's very important to me is that a company has built out a product, but they also use it themselves. And I build the product so they can make money off of you. And then their support is like overseas. Right. So it, it, I like to know that there's a company that has uh, support that's internal because they know their product in and out and they use it every day. So it's, it's super nice. Yep, agreed. Yeah. There's another, another thing I'll add to that. You, I forget what the words were, but you had like five or six words of touch yeah. points. And I think that's an important thing that um, I've talked about in DevRel too, is the, it takes several touch points or several experiences with a person and, or with a brand before you become a follower of that brand. So, you may have seen one of my videos and maybe you had enjoyed it, but then you went and watched another and then maybe you watched another and then you're like, okay, I've seen enough to now I can gauge this is someone that I want to follow. And the same thing goes like, even if it's not on one platform, like you watch a video on YouTube, you then see me on Twitter. You're like, oh yeah, that's the guy that created that video Mm -hmm. on that thing. And now you're starting to think about me or just a brand in general a little bit more. So it takes touch. It takes several touch points before people actually buy in and commit. I think this was actually based on, some research that Disney did several years ago or something. So I don't have the like formal details, but you want to make sure that those touch points of, of where people can experience you are consistent again for like what you want to be known for and what your personality you want to be out there and make sure that they're positive as well. Cause it's going to take several of them before they actually uh, decide that they're, that you are someone that uh, they trust. And you mentioned going from one video to another, that's actually something that uh, YouTube looks for in their algorithm to of who to promote because basically YouTube, their their whole number one goal is for you to spend more time on their platform and, and generate right. money through ads by watching ads. And so if they see people are, uh, people tend to go from one video to another of a creator. Now it's not just you watched X number of minutes of one video. Now you stayed on the platform to go to more videos. And so YouTube is actually paying attention to that sort of stuff to continue to give 
whatever sort of boost in the algorithm for people that have gateway content, like piece of content that leads to people watching more content on their channel. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and this, that in of itself, that conversation itself could be its own podcast episode. Um, yeah. I am a part of a video creator community, uh, by Rob Balasabas. Uh, he is head of partners and people up in uh, Uscreen. And he's out of uh, Canada, and we talk a lot about algorithms and how to design um, certain things around, like, branding and user experiences. Because even though, like, with video, like, YouTube gives you branding, customer service experience, user experience, but then the video also has to play the that part as well. Like, you, you mm-hmm. there's content that most people like to uh, consume, which is long-term like long-form content i love the long-form content because if i'm driving or just working throughout my day i can listen to it and i even conversate with the person that doesn't hear me my wife sees me do that <laughs> while i listen to podcasts and then you have that brand right the affiliation every time you're on the internet you oh yeah that's uh james q quick right or that's compressed out fm or that's code fellowship yeah because it has a little mic and this little uh curly braces mm-hmm. there I have one thing that that's really unique to my podcast when we do the gospel function is I put the Bible verses up on screen, but I do it in a syntax format. So I use like a paragraph tag oh, cool. and, and you get, yeah, you have the nice. VS code, like a uh, color mm-hmm. background like the yeah, color with the, with the yeah. code fellowship logo, really like subtle in the background. And then some of the colors I actually color picked from the actual code editor for the specific stock theme for the VS code. So it can match that one. And I've been thinking of probably doing various iterations of the, of the theming uh, just to be fun with that. And that creates a unique experience for my audience, for those that, that watch at least the episodes Mm -hmm. um, or the content. So yeah, it's something I I really enjoy uh, from having that designer mentality, but also like that developer uh, experience that I want to give off as well. Um, So yeah, another session I went to was like TypeScript. That one's just beyond TypeScript. We won't go deep into that. But I've been uh, enjoying TypeScript more, but I don't enjoy the way it screams at me. So it was really good to like go in there and just learn how to fix some of the ways when it screams at you. So it was it was pretty good. And um, I'm one of those people that learned TypeScript without looking at the docs. It's a cardinal sin, I know. Um, but I started looking at the docs. So there's that. But let's segue into Svelkit. Like this, primarily that's what you're here for. Yes, no, maybe, right? Most people may want to know more about Svelkit, but I really want to have a conversation with you around this as well. And just some of the things you took out of it. Did you learn something new while you was presenting this content, right? Because like not all of us know everything. And I'm sure that there's always a learning process when you're trying to prepare material. Um, for me, like when I'm mm-hmm. trying to prepare for the gospel function now as, as a segment, I've already recorded two versions of it. And the first version, I didn't feel as comfortable. The second version, I was confident. But then later, like throughout the week and then going to church, the Lord was like, hey, you need to do it again. But I need you to write it down and I need you to write this. And then I started learning more things from the Bible as I'm based off of what I'm going to talk about, which is dealing imposter syndrome as a developer and then what's the Christian response to dealing with that as a Christian developer? So that's something that I'm going to be publishing soon, but I'm going to take some time with it because um, 
I'm learning something new in the process as well. So was that similar to you where you did you learn something new as you were trying to teach this or was it something you already had slides prepared for and you taught the same thing to to people at that session? Yeah, um, I'm going to start and I I don't intend it to be a uh, shameless plug, but it it will be a little bit. I love love exposure and promotion. (laughs) Yeah. So the the Discord community that I run is called Learn, Build, Teach. So I think you mentioned earlier. And that's been a philosophy of mine just for years, just just a general thing that I kind of pay attention to. And so the short of it is like as developers, we spend a lot of time learning. We use what we learn to build stuff. And then the last part is to teach other people how to do it too. And there's like a really selfish aspect of that is there's no better way to learn or to like check to test your understanding than to explain things to other people. So I was actually talking to uh, someone earlier today where I was talking about my passion for teaching and how much I enjoy it. And that's kind of where all the content creation stuff comes from, of being able to help people and teach people. Uh, But then also like once you once you turn from a learner to a teacher, you really get a feel for how well you understand what you're talking about and the gaps that you have, because explaining it now is just that much more difficult. So all of my talks are opportunities for that. Like all the things that I submit, to a certain extent, there's stuff that I haven't actually done yet. It's code that I haven't written, it's learnings that I don't necessarily have, and that forces this learning opportunity. So this is something, this is actually the first time I gave this talk and it was to create a wand generator uh, with SvelteKit uh, TypeScript actually. So I'm becoming more of a fan of TypeScript mm. using Prisma as an, uh, an ORM and abstraction layer on top of the database and then PlanetScale as a database. And this is a way for me to spend more time with Svelte, SvelteKit and build something fun. I think that's always the, the greatest inspiration is like build something that you care about or build something that you just would have fun building. And that's what this was. And uh, yeah, so it was like I had done a decent amount with Svelte and SvelteKit so far. There's a couple things in particular that uh, that I learned along the way. So one was using the built-in transitions in SvelteKit. So I created like this almost like a, a slot machine effect where each uh, option that you're randomly selecting is kind of mm-hmm. cycling through all the options that it could choose from. And so it has like a slot machine effect for each one of those. So I thought that was a ton of fun. And then I had used uh, Prisma uh, in the past as an ORM, and but never in SvelteKit. So setting that up in SvelteKit. And then lastly, a cool thing that I did that I really enjoyed was created dynamic um, images for individual wands that people create. So they generate a wand, which gives them these five different uh, properties. The combination of those is probably relatively unique. And if they want to share that on social media, they can share a link to that wand. And then I dynamically generate the image by adding text overlays using a service called Cloudinary, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, So I thought that was a ton of fun to tie in together because I got to work with like, what sort of metadata do you include in your application so that it shows up well on Twitter when people share to make sure the image is set and the description and title and that sort of stuff. So yeah, several different learnings and that's, that's how it is for all the content that I build. That's like half of the reason that I build the content is to learn myself and then to teach other people uh, how yeah, to do it too. That's a really, it's it very, very well said. Um, it's something I, I did too when I was creating content like every day was just learning how to do it and then teaching it my way or in a way that I thought mm-hmm. was exciting. Uh, one of the things that I, I learned uh, as a content creator, even as a video game streamer, uh, play the game or present the content the way you would want to watch it. I uh, don't always uh, go 
go against mm-hmm. the grain always. Right? Don't always like you can take consideration of the audience because uh, I don't want to exclude the audience feedback. Right. But something you have a passion for, do it in your way, because in the end of the day, that's what allows you to wake up in the morning, like to be like, oh, I wake up in the morning. This is what I want to do. And it's, it's super good to like know that even the developers that are on YouTube and on, out on Twitter and all these different like uh, developer based blogs, you know, so many of them <laughs> like dev two hash note, et cetera. Like just the, the things that they teach you, but people forget that they also learn in the process that they're also human. They make mistakes mm-hmm. and, and sometimes mistakes brings out the beauty in something like as an artist, you know, you're drawing something. I come from that background and then I make a mistake, but then it actually benefits what I'm doing. Um, and it's super, super awesome. Uh, I, I, it was super cool to Agreed. see your demo on that as well. And I started, I was really inspired to get onto Felkit. And because I wanted to deal with like a framework, we talked about Astro, right? Like I, I, I mentioned that a little bit. It's like, oh, I don't know much about Astro. I should probably check it out. Uh, a lot has changed since the last time I updated it. And... <laughs> The only thing I would say, like, this is, again, a part of, like, a user experience as a developer. It's just the upgrade process of Astro is very cumbersome at the moment. I think it could be a little bit better if they're watching or listening. They'll probably be like, hey, what do you mean? Um, but Felkit was very easy to create an application. Almost felt like doing a, a Create React app. Right? Very simple. Astro has a very similar one. Uh, as well so their their installation process is pretty easy as well i think i think that's the the standard right they give you like the option to do a template or just the option to uh, just a clean slate no boilerplate um and i started off with that but i what i really liked about svelkit that you mentioned was just how close to just html css and javascript it is right like Mm -hmm. from your experience what what actually made you look into svelkit and what made you like create more content around it yeah, it's always it's one of those things where I won't be the first one to adopt a new tool or framework. I'll probably be earlier than a lot of people. And that's just kind of the nature of content creation is you create content about the things that people are curious about. And that changes a lot faster than if you're working at a, a company. You can't bigger company can't just go to Svelkit mm-hmm. and then the next thing in a year that quickly. Um, so I do have the opportunity to do to experiment more and quicker with different languages and tools and frameworks, et cetera. Uh, but I usually wait until I've heard about it for a while. So you mentioned Syntax FM. I'm a big fan of them uh, as well, Scott and Wes. And I heard Scott talk about it for a long time. Heard other people on Twitter talking about it. And the more you hear about it, the more I'm like, okay, the itchy ears. I'm starting to get interested. Yeah. I'm starting to get interested. Yeah. And so finally, I just did it. I can't remember what the first experience was. I think I created a, a crash course. Yeah, where I, I created think that's a Pokedex what it was. With, yeah. uh, with SvelteKit, which is a ton of fun. Yeah. So that was, again, learning opportunity for me. The more I did that, I enjoyed it more. And a big part came from the course that Amy and I are working on called Everything's Felt, where I'd created a few pieces of content before. We decided to do a SvelteKit course. And the more code I wrote with SvelteKit, the more excited I was. And another another demo was the wand generator demo. Another thing was I did um, a demo. Still like a was, Wordle? Uh, yeah. A yeah. Wordle clone with SvelteKit. Yeah. And so it just, the more I worked with it, the more I was like, I really enjoy this. This is just really, really nice. And a lot of it is coming from the syntax that you mentioned. It's just closer and 
closer to vanilla HTML and um, and all of that. And the syntax just kind of made sense and felt really good. And it's got just enough features and things built in. And just the more I worked with it, the more I enjoyed it. So that's been uh, been something I've really had a blast learning and working with, and we'll continue to spend some more time. Awesome. Yeah, in the I started with it. Uh, creating one because I was gonna I was like, okay, maybe I'm gonna try to build my portfolio website around it. And I am still trying to learn how to use Prismic, uh, which is a, C- a headless CMS system. And then nice. <laughs> I did not yeah. see much documentation for Prismic with uh Svelte mm-hmm. and uninstall it. So I, I did find something on the Prismic side of things and it was like a I guess a blog article if I remember correctly. Um then from there it just like I started having some issues and I'm like, oh darn it. I'll probably figure it out this week. But it's always nice to like just come to a stumbling block. Like some of these tools are actually new. They may not like communicate with each other mm-hmm as you think they are. And that's what pushes you outside of your boundary of, of that. It needs to be easy, but then why are we a developer? Right. We have to, we have to like always put our critical thinking cap on and, and find many ways. I mean, maybe Prismic doesn't know that their documentation is up to par with the current version of Spellkit because it isn't. So I'm actually like trying to write down what's mm-hmm. working, what's not working, and then just send out a little feedback to them on that. Um, do you have if you don't have a particular person to send the feedback okay. to let me know and I can connect you to someone that you can uh, you can talk to again just having having that personal connection I always feel like providing feedback to someone specifically has a higher chance of yeah. being taken seriously but the, that's the, the tough thing with newer projects and that's why I don't um, I don't try them I'm not I'm never the first person because that's usually like super super early I've heard about it for a little while but there's still like Spellkit is not right. at a 1.0 yet. Um, so that's a learning learning experience, especially as we're building course material because things change and we want to make sure we take advantage of, of the latest changes and stuff. So that's been a challenge for us as well. Uh, so it's something to consider for everyone. And that's especially why you probably wouldn't adopt it at your company just yet, unless you're really comfortable making changes uh, pretty quickly. Uh, so yeah, just things to consider, but it is fun to experiment and try out the new new tools and things that are out there. Cause there's so many all the time. There's never enough time for me to yeah, try all the things I, I want to, but it, it's one of those things that is refreshing to like step away from the framework noise and being able to do something with just standard HTML, CSS and traditional JavaScript. And I think that's what attracts me to Svelte and Svelte kit. Um, I'm not sure how much time you have left, uh, but I, I did want to uh, segue into just the the overall day two of that conference. How, how did you feel about it? What did you take out of day two uh, for your technical content creation that you'll be doing full time? Yeah, um, again, relationships there, just meeting with people in person is amazing. Uh, I actually talked to Clark, the uh, one of the founders about um, keynoting for the conference nice. in Austin, Texas in January. So that was a huge thing for me. Um, I just kind of mentioned hint, like, this is something I'm looking for more opportunities to do. And he was like, well, why don't you come to Texas? So that was super exciting. Um, I talked a lot to him about the stuff that I'm doing content creation wise and the stuff that he's doing with helping grow the audience of the conference, but less so about the conference and more about community. And so we had a lot to, um, 
we had a lot to talk about there and that was a ton of fun of just how to get people engaged outside of just the specific in-person events and give them the opportunity to have these conversations kind of like we've talked about on an ongoing basis virtually because we can't be in person all the time. So I thought that was super cool. So I'm really optimistic and excited just for where uh, the community of that to continue to grow. Uh, excited for me personally to be involved in the next one. I think that one will be uh, a ton of fun as well. And uh, I don't know, like content creation going forward, I've got a lot to figure out. Like I've got the basic things that I'm doing with sponsor videos and continue to do videos and podcasts, but I'm excited to spend some more time at a higher level thinking through like, how do I weave more of these pieces together and get more out of what I've already got in place uh, to kind of grow, continue to grow a brand, mm -hmm. but at this point, like grow a business. And my, my goal first and foremost is always creating genuine value for people and having them benefit from the content I create. But I'm also looking at this at, at growing a business now that I'm doing it full time. So there's lots of lots of things for me to learn, talking about learning opportunities, um, lots of things for me to tweak and build and all those things. And again, like I said, to start this off, I'm just really excited to have every day be kind of controlled by what it is I yeah, want to work on. It's pretty I think awesome. That's a lot of fun. I remember when uh, you got laid off and I told my wife about it and I was like, hey, let's, let's start praying for James because like, um, I'm sure that he's been around in the game. He's, he's, he's a veteran in the industry, but I've been seeing a lot of the news of other layoffs and how companies are, you know, just politically mm -hmm. are trying to adjust, you know, their finances. So that way they can like have more control, right. Of, of the people that, who they work for, like who work for them and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I, hopefully he, he finds a, he finds something really good and somewhere where they can appreciate his value. Cause I felt it. I felt the pain as well as like, uh, in May, I was like, we talked about it, right? In person a little bit. I, I got laid off as a video creator for a WordPress development company. Mm -hmm. And they, I just got a message. Like, I just got a message in the morning. And it was like, hey, we're, we're going to have to uh, put a close on this. They, they considered it a project. And even though they hired me for a position. Um, and it was, it was something I have a passion for, but it was also, there was a lot of disorganization, some organizational things that I didn't agree with just the way they work and stuff like that. And to be honest, I could talk about it, right? I was going to find a way to become a developer <laughs> full time because I felt that that's kind of where my calling was to be. And the next thing you know, like they just let me go, gave me severance pay for a month. I started hit the boot like boots on the ground to try to apply for developer jobs Did a bunch of interviews. I denied a few as well. Like it was super nice to also deny something, say no to some things. Can't always say yes uh, mm -hmm. because you, you got to find where you, where you are valued with your time and your knowledge and your skill set. But you also have to be humble in the process and take what you can right to, to have your foot in the door. Um, so it was really nice. And I was like, man, I'm just going to pray for James because it's, it's not easy. Um, to be in that position of uncertainty and well i'm glad that you've found your your calling there is to continue on with what you're doing and and make the best of it um you know I, i'm sure that as an adult you're going to make the right decision too for your wife and, and your family and stuff like that uh, but super awesome to get you on a podcast and get to finally meet you in person and just be able to to share and create memories of a lifetime um uh, i hope that you're not this is not the first time that we can actually have a special episode or something with Amy uh, along with you and everything. And so that'll be pretty yeah, awesome. Absolutely. But what is something that, um, 
that you would like to share with my audience uh, when it comes to um, not giving up as a developer or starting out in this uh, in this role in this in this time where there's so much uncertainty as people start reading the news uh, based off of these layoffs? What's something you would give them so that they can go motivated and inspired? Yeah. I think um, I think people have a lot more control in their careers than they ever realized. And this is something I, I talk a lot about. Um, I've actually got a talk that I'm doing coming up soon of 30 tips and tricks for basically taking control of your career. And so like you end up in a getting laid off or let go. Um, there's there's only so much mm-hmm. you can do about that. Like it's really unfortunate and it's really tough, but there's you don't have full control over that. But what you do have is full control over continuing to build your network, continue to build your set of skills, continue to build all the things that you can then leverage to bounce, <clears throat> excuse me, to bounce back. And so I'm a huge proponent of being active in the community of some sort. Like it could be attending meetups in person. It could be being active in Twitter. It could be learning or joining a discord, joining a site. It could be so many things, but just being active means again, you're learning from people. You're seeing what other people are doing. You also are seeing like Hey, this, this also happened to a lot of other people. So it helps you realize like these are just tougher times in the economy. So it's happening. Like, it's not just you. It doesn't, it isn't necessarily a reflection of what you did or did not do. It's just kind of part of it. Uh, so you get a little bit of kind of level set on, on this happens to other people as well. It's not just you. Um, you also then come out with networking opportunities and I'm in a, a very fortunate position where it was unfortunate to get let go, but also my network and my credibility from having been in the community for so long, I got an overwhelming amount of messages of like, hey, my team is hiring, et cetera. And I was fortunate enough to have the option to do full-time content creation. Now I understand like I've been doing this for several years. I've had a job that's enabled me to do that. So not everyone is at that level, but those are the things that you can continue to build up. And I think like, obviously you're doing this for yourself by having a podcast and having guests on and going to conferences now and networking and just meeting people and building relationships. That stuff goes a long way. So as tough as that is, uh, I hope that people never lose sight of like, what can they change to hopefully influence that in a more positive direction in the future? Can you spend more time in the community? Can you network more? Can you meet more people? Can you build more side projects? Can you spend more time learning? Whatever it is that you think would help you in the future, uh, can you spend a little bit more time doing that to have a little bit more control over your career? I think even an hour a day is, is just enough to get started. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what keeps the wheel turning. Right? The wheel doesn't just continue turning on its own. You, you, you're, you're that driver, um, unless you're of the faith as well. And like a Jesus, take the wheel, right? <laughs> I'm a backseat driver. <laughs> but yeah, it was really awesome to have you. I'm really excited. I know my wife's gonna be pretty happy while I edit this in the hospital, and the ba- the new baby comes on the way. Um, <laughs> I look forward to being in other conferences. Really awesome to f- find out that you're going to be in Austin. I won't be. I'll probably be at a wedding during that time. Um, mm-hmm. But okay. I do plan on having Clark on the day three of that conference episode. So we're trying to get that figured out. I guess he probably got busy. So just be stay tuned, everybody, because uh, the big man himself is going to be on a podcast episode. Um but yeah, James, really excited to have you once again uh, to just actually nurture this relationship, this friendship, like, you know, 
in person and not just like some tweets even though i do enjoy our sarcastic <laughs> tweets sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's really fun to have same fun. um is there uh how is there anything you want to share with like during the passing of the bread so now we're like you share something that could be like where can we contact you communicate with you uh communion with you or just like a resource that you want to give people um for learning or just like uh enhancing their skills yeah um james q quick on socials twitter uh youtube tiktok i spend more time on now there's also the learn build teach discord that we've talked about a few times at learnbuildteach.com and then lastly i mentioned the everything's felt course that amy and i are working on so it's at everythingsfelt.com where you build an app with Svelte Kit, Superbase, Stripe, and a few other things, which is uh, which is a ton of fun. So you Do we have a release date Svelte. on that? Because that was on a website still. Yeah. Um, so we we're hoping to get uh, the first couple of videos released this week, and then we're just going to continue to leave it in uh, a preview oh, while okay. we uh, release the rest of them, and then we'll have it uh, kind of officially. Um, I don't know when that official date will be at the end, uh, but we're going to start dropping dropping a handful of videos at a time uh, starting soon. I tried, guys. I tried to get a release date. But that's, <laughs> that's right. You, you, that's what you have, folks. I, yeah, I'm yep. looking forward to signing up for that as well. Cool. I, don't, I don't want it to be like one of those Udemy things. You get them on sale and then you never touch them again. Mm -hmm. That's a common yep. thing with courses, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. All right, James. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the Code Fellowship uh, podcast on a Monday. Uh, for your time and looking forward to seeing you in other episodes. I guess we'll have a debrief after uh, this. I stop recording, um, but it's been a pleasure to finally meet you and, and spend some time at that conference, even through a podcast. So God bless you and talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, what's going on guys? JB here with code fellowship. Uh, I am excited. Woo. I can't uh, speak this morning. I'm going to try that again. <laughs> And a little clapper too, I just heard nice. him taking it out.